Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. A girl I was sort of going out with was sort of, um, yeah, doing, was in charge of this record company, Lona Hendrix Record Company, and they were making a video, and they needed a six-foot-two saxophone player. And, and as I could actually play the saxophone, not that, of course, I played the saxophone in the video, I only mimed, but they thought it was good that someone would actually play the saxophone, right. not that they would play. So, uh, yeah. I'm going to put this picture... on residuals for every time that never happens? <laughs> no, I've seen it, though, and it's fucking great. <laughs> It's really, really good, and I have to do dance routines. It's just hilarious. I was paying so much money. I, got, I think I got 65 or 70 pounds in 10-pound notes, just uh, in cash. Counted out. And I can remember just looking at it and thinking, I don't have to work for a month. <laughs> you know, it was amazing. You listen to the word podcast. This picture of Mark Ellen actually playing, miming the saxophone with Nona Hendrix will be on the website later on. Are you going to put that on? I definitely am. Oh, my God. Because I think your public should know, Mark, that you're also wearing white shoes, aren't you? I'm wearing white shoes. Well, I was it's dressed... It's been an 80s style tip. I've like been through hair and wardrobe. Correct me if I'm wrong, that looks like a zoot suit. It's a zoot... <laughs> you might as well come out and say it, and you have, and you're right. It's a zoot I'm wearing a zoot suit with padded shoulders. It was powder blue. And what's Electric that? blue. And what's and that on your head? A fedora. I'm, it's a fedora. <laughs> I'm wearing a fedora. And that's I was a, that's a and saxophone player, and a Noda Hendrix a failed, tragically failed... That was the only sad thing about it. It wasn't a hit. If it had been a hit, it would be one of those things that was constantly on MTV and you could say to your children, yes, your old dad in his zoot suit, in his zoot suit days. It'd be great. With old Nona, his big pal. Mark, have you tried looking on YouTube? Actually, it might be there. That's a good point. Everything's there. You know, I never thought of that. It's bound to be there. God, I can't remember what it was called now. Uh, well, just look up I can't Nona remember much about Nona Hendricks, except I think she was in... Uh, La Belle. Of, La Belle, who did uh, yeah. Lady Marmalade. Yeah. Am I right? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, right. And she made solo records yeah. since. Uh, and we've also, since Mark's been going through his files to bring in a picture, which I wanted to just talk about, but he's also found various other... Uh, items of memorabilia, haven't you? You got the picture of you with meatloaf. I know. It's, this is uh, maybe we should put this on the side. It's going to be put on the side because it's just so funny. I, I, I collect everything. I keep, just keep. I've got files up on the roof. I know. I know. I know. We have a thing in the magazine called "Found in the Attic." Uh, which is because it was really found in my attic. Yes. It's just things found <laughs> in my attic. Yeah, old pairs of trainers, broken Filed tennis rackets, cricket pads, one glove. This picture is Mark Allen. Mark Allen interviewing Meatloaf uh, for the Whistle Test many, many years ago on film in the streets in the West End, and you've got that. Fantastic expression on your face, Mark, as as the meat is is talking. Mr. Yeah, he's Loaf telling is talking. a hilarious anecdote. Hilarious anecdote. And to be fair, Meatloaf is very, funny very man. good value. Genuinely isn't funny he's, fellow. Yeah. He's, if, if you have to choose one person to to interview to go on a radio station, that's, and it's going to last for hours, take Meatloaf yeah. every time. It, it won't let you down. Comes up by the yard. Absolutely yeah, by brilliant. the yard. Phil, Phil here. <laughs> But you've got that look on, that kind of, uh, that, that, that look on your face, haven't you? It's a rictus grin. I think it's what we're supposed to call a rictus grin TM. It's a look of kind of agonised pain where you're meant to be. It's that, it's a permanent smile, isn't it, that you often wear during interviews. <laughs> Brilliant! You know, we're trying to keep people going, and also you can't talk. And if so, they're recording, no. yes, you just you just sit there in, in, 
the phrase that I was taught, just nod like a lunatic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the noddies. Cutaways. And there may be, I mean, this, may, this is probably old news to loads of people, but it's just worth covering, actually. In the world of TV, the noddy is, is a major element, isn't it? Yeah. That, you know, loads and loads of times you see, I don't know, people interviewed on the telly or cabinet ministers on the news or rock stars on, on, on the telly or whatever, uh, that they're interrupted by shots of the interviewer just going... That was me nodding, OK? Yeah. And, it didn't uh, really work in a podcast, did it? No, it doesn't. David nodded Let's there, all try vigorously. it again. Let's all do a nod. It's your okay? nod. Silence. <laughs> try it once there's more. There's lots of Once more, because Matt wasn't doing it yeah, right. Do it again. That's more like that's it. There's lots of expressions. That's there's, there's one which is, that's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> you know. You, but the way so thing, these things are done is they go and shoot the interview with one camera. And so in order to be able to edit the interview, they need shots of the interviewer nodding or repeating the questions. And so after you've done an interview, when the star has gone away, you are, the camera's turned on you, and you have to just sit there for about 45 seconds, just going... That's right. Just so that you can have the stuff to... You know, Wasn't there a very that? famous incident at the BBC recently where the, who was the guy at head of Arena uh, now presents programmes? Alan Yentob. Alan Yentob. Yentob. Well, well, somebody went out and did an interview for him and then he did the noddies. Oh, yes. It looked like it was his own interview. Yeah. And there was all manner of furore. Although I wonder if that was terribly fair because quite often people give you quotes for a piece that you didn't actually get yourself, you yeah. know, and wind them in and pretend they're yours or whatever. Yeah, you don't, yeah, you don't say, where, yeah, but the difference is when you're doing that... Or when you get a quote from a piece that somebody else has... You do usually credit them, I have to say. It's true. I'm talking... As you told to me. No, as he's, as he is. Have you seen the thing that's on the web this week following the, the Lehman uh, Brothers... Um, have you seen that? that, that, that Mark, have you seen this? is astonishing. This is, you know, so the, the headquarters of every bank in Wall Street is just surrounded by um, anchormen and you know, presenters from 24-hour rolling news channels trying to get, you know, footage of people carrying boxes out of the building and and they've got this guy doing a piece to camera. It's going live you know, across America. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Is it CNN? It is. And in the background, I don't know how to describe this. Two men. Go on, Matt. Yeah, Over go on. to Matt Hall to describe. No, I'm rooting. I'm behind seen the guy. This. Come on. Behind the guy, but in shot. Two Ameri- normal American men start snogging each other. <laughs> like, Excellent. Really, like, really going for it with Tom. <laughs> That's uh, really funny. And then at one point, and then the, the guy obviously realises something's going on, but he can't, he turn, can't around turn around. He's doing his piece to camera. They cut back to the studio, and one of the anchors goes, and um, of course you'll have noticed there are uh, two men comforting each other in the back. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but I've never comforted somebody by lifting their T-shirt. Absolutely. He lifts somebody's shirt. It's only very short, but they just managed Could this just be a new euphemism now for sex? Comforting. It's brilliant. Yes, it's very good. Comforting a friend. I must have thought, this is what we'll do. It was was fantastic. That is brilliant. Gorilla getting on the back of... Yeah. I think we've had that on the website, actually, wordmagazine.co.uk. Have a look. I think somebody posted it uh, the other day. It's an absolutely astonishing piece. So go on, Mark. You brought... Are you going to mention... Oh, yeah. I'm going to come to it later, anyway. Oh, right. No, I bought this picture in. Um, It's rather good, isn't it? Are we going to put this on the site? (laughs) <laughs> We've got room. I think so. We've got, We've got room on the side. The, side is <laughs> the, the contents of Mark Ellen's attic. This is a fantastic Mark picture. Mark Ellen's attic has stuffed the internet. It's absolutely it's broken the internet. <laughs> it's overloaded. It's a picture of uh, David Hepworth, Billy Bragg, Whispering Bob Harris, myself, Robin Hitchcock, the producer, executive producer of Old Grey Whistle Test, Mike Appleton. Mike Beagle. Co-producer, uh, uh, Trevor Dan. Uh, DJ Andy Kershaw. And... The late Rick Wright. And the man we were now yeah. called the late Rick Wright. That's right. And this, the, the event, I think, was a VH1... So when was that? God, I'm sorry. Ten, ten years ago. It was, it was an old, old grey whistle test sort of reunion. <laughs> yes. Was Mike Cowboy put got it, it together. He took the picture, I took the picture. got everybody yeah. in there. Yeah. It's, a, it's a really good picture, actually. Nobody looks stupid at all. A magazine, a website, a podcast, The Word. So, what are your memories of him? Uh, uh, Rick Wright, God, um, I've met him quite a few times, actually. I mean, uh, I, 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 not the easiest guy to get on with, actually, uh, although that, does, that sounds uh, ungenerous uh, in the circumstances. doesn't suffer fools gladly. No, he doesn't. But uh, I thought I read a lot of uh, the obituaries um, uh, about him uh, in the last couple of days, and the thing that really fascinated me about it was just the complexity of the Pink Floyd... Um, you know, uh, hiring and firing organisation, you know, that he was a member of the group for a long time, and then he was eventually famously sacked, wasn't he? He was sacked 
for his non-return from a summer holiday in France to finish whichever record they were working on at the time, which must have come out about... But he's sacked by Roger Waters. Sacked by Roger Waters. Although I rather suspect that all three of them must agree, have agreed at the time, the three of the others. Uh, he also famously had a cocaine habit, and he wasn't particularly reliable, or probably punctual, Dave. I don't imagine the first one to the studio at 9.30 in the morning was Richard Wright. Oh, I don't know, cocaine habit probably was. It might have been up all been night. Been there all night. True. Yeah, that's a very good point. But uh, the others, days before. The others afterwards then rather tried to distance themselves from this uh, decision and say that they never wanted him to be sacked at all and uh, that he should be returned to the fold immediately. And he was. He was brought back in again for a while on wages, wasn't he? I don't know. I don't know. Okay, you know yeah, it's very, very interesting. Them, yeah, and then he was made a full member of the group again. Uh, but they were obviously watching very carefully the degree to which he contributed musically to the band, because his musical contributions were absolutely fantastic. And I'm sure this is... Actually, I'm surprised it hasn't been played up more in the obituaries. You know, it was Rick Wright's uh, fascination with avant-garde jazz. He was a jazzer. I mean, he started out, when he was 16, he was in Ronnie Scott's every night, watching people playing tennis saxophones. He wasn't from a kind of rock, rock and roll background. Particularly, not that rock and roll particularly existed then, anyway, you know. Mm. And, uh, you know, if you listen to, to tracks like um, Echoes is a really good example, the second side of metal, their masterpiece, which I got very stuck on last year for some reason. You know, you go back to these songs and you just can't <laughs> stop playing them. It's 23 minutes long or whatever. And I would just, just, I listened to it over and over again. And his, his intonations and that and his uh, discords that he plays and his timing and everything. If this doesn't sound too pretentious, it's very, very, uh, it's very avant-garde uh, uh, jazz music. But probably didn't get his name on the composing credit. No, if, probably not. I mean, that's another really that's, interesting thing That's about what it. fascinates I mean, me about cases like this. Yeah, there's that terrible struggle for... Uh, it's a kind of land grab at the end for some kind of, um, you know, cr for, for, for credit in every sense, really, isn't it? Yes. And I've always thought that the most interesting examples of these groups that don't argue are the ones that have had the sense early on to go in collectively. Presumably because they had some idea. Of course, the three best examples are Blur, R.E.M. and U2. U2. All of them have exactly the same structure. There's three musicians and a, and a kind of singer-lyricist, if you like, although Damon Albarn obviously plays a lot of instruments as well. And they had a, a structure. I, I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying where they divide the royalties five ways, which is that the lyricist gets 20%, and then the, the, the four of them, including obviously the lyricist in his musicianly capacity, divide up the remain, remaining 80% uh, in terms of arrangement and Composition, because I think that's really, really important. If you listen to, I listened to um, Walk on the Wild Side the other day. And you listen to Walk on the Wild Side. If Herbie Flowers hadn't was not here playing with, and hadn't brought his double bass yeah. with him, what kind of a song would there be is no there? record without the There's double bass? There's just no record at all. You imagine going, go, go, go on, Lou, perform that, do at that the piano, do it with a guitar, and uh, you know, and uh, entertain us, Lou. Go on, have a go. It's go like it's come together by the Beatles. I, I can't. I've never heard it. I don't think any demo versions of that song exist. It's a great lyric but it's basically just a 4-4, four, four. it's a little sort of old blues riff, but if you put in the bass and drum part on Come Together, it absolutely and totally, a million percent, transforms the song to what it actually is. Or there's millions of, millions of examples of Lennon's songs. Don't, uh, don't Let Me Down. Not, the bass part of <laughs> Don't Let Me Down is entirely the counterpoint of the entire song. So, yeah, so there's a, you know... It must be a very, very difficult business because you know, it didn't resolve in the Smiths, did it? I mean, the Smiths oh, no. felt that their arrangement and the colour and the intonations they brought to the songs deserved more credit. It probably did. I don't know. I wasn't there when they, when they, when they arranged and recorded these. It, it is just, it is interesting, isn't it, that the old, the old traditional way of assessing contribution to music was is composing, and and that was. An idea that was formed in the days when there were two guys who sat in a, in a cell in the Brill building or whatever, you know, knocking, and one of them sat at the piano and one of them stood up and sang. And, and they were knocking out tunes for musicals, weren't they? You know, they, they, that, that was the way you did it. And they produced a piece of sheet music, which then was given to somebody else to sing and was then sold as sheet music. Yeah. Whereas what, what's involved in a hit record is everything that goes into a hit record. And the song is only one part of it, isn't it? And the song has been written for a particular set of musicians to play at a particular time, hasn't yeah. it? You know, so if you go back, and I don't know, you know, you go back and listen to Satisfaction by the Rolling Stones or whatever. Well, Brian Jones, who probably doesn't have his name anywhere near it, probably contributed to that every bit as much as Mick Jagger and Keith Richard. And Charlie Watts did also, and Bill Wyman, you know what I mean? Because it was, it was just a sound made by that bunch of musicians at the time. And of course in those days, everybody, f well it still happens. Early in the career, everybody throws in 
20, 30 years later, there's a terrible argument about credit, usually soured by the fact that one or two members of the group are significantly, in the words of Harry Enfield, richer than yo. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, live in far bigger houses and have far more ex-wives and, you know, get given far more awards. And she to far better schools. Far better schools. Get, get interviewed by, you know, by far more prestigious magazines. And so who are you? Oh, you're the offspring of the drummer. I'm sorry, I don't speak to you. I don't lower myself to the working classes. But what you just said was really interesting. I thought really interesting that 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 going back to Richard Wright, that he was re-employed on a wage. Yes. And then was what what happened? Did he he give him a letter saying congratulations? That's a really really good point because I mean, you know, David Gilmore at this stage was in charge of the group and obviously it's a for God's sake, it's a business. It's like a business like any other business. And it was a business that appeared to be heading for complete disaster. Um, obviously, in the aftermath of the of the Roger Waters departure and, and, and lawsuit, and so his whole thing is, we're going to reform this company, but um, you know I, there are going to be um, regular job assessment. There's a new guy in charge. What's your backs? That's right. We start at 9.30, we end at 6. What out for lunch? And everyone please report uh, to the canteen. That's right. Managing right. director. Yeah. So, uh, so I came across another example of this only last week for an interview on, on the word bo- backstage podcast, our other podcast stream, which we'll put up in the next few which days. confusing people. There's, t- there's two... Go on, Matt, explain it. word podcasts, yeah. streams. There's... This one. Which comes out every week. Yeah. And then there's the backstage one. Which we do occasionally when, you know, opportunities arise. And the person I talked to uh, this week, because last week, because he's got a book out, is Don Felder out of the Eagles. And so Don Felder joined the Eagles in about 1974 when they were a country rock group who'd had a couple of, you know, critically applauded but not terribly commercially successful records. And they brought him in because they wanted, they wanted a rock guitarist. They wanted a bloke who could make everything sound like a rock record, you know what I mean? And had experience in a studio and, and could get any sound out of it. And so he kind of, he threw in with them, you know, why not? And, you know, it turns out to be hugely successful. And, um, but he's not really a writer. Although, in whenever it was, he turned up at the, at the uh, early rehearsals for what was their next album with the basic idea of the song that was going to become Hotel California. That's right, exactly. But without, you know, the lyrics or the vocal or anything. for the rest of his life, you know, to be honest. And know. so, you know, so he has a massive claim on this thing, which is the crown jewel of their repertoire, even though apart from that, he's hardly written anything at all, you know. And, uh, and of course, you know, they break up, and when are they going to get back together again? When hell freezes over, hell freezes over in 1994, I think. You know, they get back together. By which time, they're all middle-aged blokes, and they've all got their own lawyers, and they've all got their own managers, and they've all got their own ex-wives, and they've all got their own ranchers. And, you know, so their attitude is very different. You know, how are we dividing this up? And because you are? <laughs> Were you in this group at any stage? It's a bit of that. <laughs> Road Hotel California, you bastard. <laughs> it's a bit of that. And uh, anyway, we go into this in great detail on the on the podcast interview. It's very interesting about it because, what, as Fahilda points out, now listen, you know, everybody, any band, any any creative setup, if you interview them twenty years later, the argument about who did what is a bitter argument, and and not helped by the fact that nobody has very accurate memories. You know what I mean? You get together a bunch of people who worked on a magazine 20, 30 years ago, they'll, they'll have completely different memories. You know, you just you remember it your own way. Uh, but in their case, it's overlaid with bitterness about the money they didn't get or the credit that they, they never felt they got. But he said to me, he said, if you leave Dan, Don Henley on, on his own in the room to write a song, he can't do it because he's a drummer. Fair point. Insert drummer joke here. <laughs> no, but he, he's a fantastic singer. He can write really good lyrics, but you know he doesn't know where to start. Whereas Felder is the guy who goes along with. Here's a bit of an idea. Here's a riff. You know, here's something that doesn't sound like anything we've yeah. done before. And you know that stuff is piled on top of it. And so very often in these bands, they have the kind of, you know, the honest artisan. You know, and you might say Rick Wright was an example of that, and Brian Jones of the Rolling Stones, and there are probably loads of other examples. Of that. But I got to, I, they're, 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 they're 
contribution never gets recognised because they don't get, they don't get their name on the copyright when it when it comes to who wrote I totally the song. I agree with that, and also I think, I think the Pet Shop Boys is a really good example. Yes. Neil Tennant is the is the is, is the main I think concept writer and probably chord sequence writer, but it recognises the fact that Chris Lowe is the guy who comes in at the end. Often, as he's, Neil once told me, often having spent two days lying around the studio leafing through magazines, <laughs> apparently, apparently not being completely engaged with the project. But suddenly go over to keyboard and he'll just play some little tiny riff that can just, just go sort of da 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 And that That's tiny the signature is what completely transforms this whole thing into the thing that makes sense on the radio, you know, and I think that's wonderful that he completely acknowledges that. But also that's the and nature... Of course, it is just as crucial. No, it is. But the nature of the partnership is probably, I don't know, I'm looking inside, you know, no, I don't know, really. But Neil probably gets things started. Absolutely. Left to Chris, who wouldn't make a record for five years. Neil's, he's like McCartney and the Beatles, was the one going, I think we should do this. Try this. And the rest of the band all going, mm, he's at it again, that Tulsa. You know, well, that tosser made us make the records, you know what I mean? But that's, that's, that's really interesting, because that's the whole relationship in bands. Invariably, and Pet Shop Boys is probably a bad example of this, but bands get together as kind of, when they're teenagers. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, they're, all of a sudden, years later, they're 30-year-old men. 60-year-old men. 60-year-old men. But their relationships are still based yes. on being teenagers. Yes, it's completely. Yeah. Yeah. So they're just sat there going, oh, tosser. You know, oh, well, the pecking order, I mean, the pecking order of Pink Floyd's a classic example because David Gilmore is considerably the youngest member of the group, isn't he? Uh, he's the kind of George Harrison figure. Uh, I think he, gosh, was he at school with, with Barrett? Sure. I think he was at the same school. And oh, don't say anything. Okay. You're mentioning the siren outside. I'm not going to. I know it's a cliche, but as you can tell, listeners, we are still in the uh, London swinging N1 district, <laughs> where felons run free. <laughs> Do you know something about the Floyd? Can I just say? Go on. It reminded me, thinking about the, 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 the Floyd yesterday and, and, and Rick Wright, that I went through this terrible phase in whatever it was, 1974, I think, when I stopped listening. To, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever done this. You suddenly get very principled about music. I listened to the Pink Floyd obsessively, actually, up until Dark Side of the Moon, which came out when it was, 73, I think. And then I stopped listening to English music. I was living in my, my hippie commune at college, right? We could, like, maybe we had a meeting day. And we said, like, I tell you what, I think American music's like much better than English music. And we stopped listening to all English music, with the sole exception, and this will be painful for you, I know, of Roy Harper. I know, it was Roy Harper. <laughs> and we had again, a group meeting, another group meeting, we decided that Roy Harper was allowed to, to remain in the house because he was such a genius, Dave. <laughs> but otherwise, we went for the Ozark Mountain Daredevils. Oh, Dan Hicks God. and his hot licks. Oh, yeah. Um, the Pure Prairie League. Oh, uh, quality yeah, all the way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All, the the Doobie Brothers, the Auburn Brothers. Rouge, we just decided that American out. music, in principle, was just better than English. It was, English it was, was embarrassing. To be fair, it was cooler. It was it, much cooler. It, it, also, that was in the days when hardly anybody went to America. If you knew somebody had gone to America, it was, yeah. it was, you wanted to touch the hem of their garment. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and so it was just unbelievably exotic and distant. As, uh, you know, members of, of, um, of the Ormond Brothers Band. Where, Imagine where, that. Whereas British bands, you always felt you could bump into them on, on, the, yeah. on the Blue Boar at Watford Gap on the, on the M1. You know? <laughs> they were just there all the time. There was nothing, you know, distant. There wasn't any great mystery. Alluring <coughs> about them. They bought their loom pants in the same shop as you bought your loom pants uh, in, in King's Road. <coughs> so what are you saying? You got back into Pink Floyd? I, no, I, got, yeah, I got back into Pink Floyd, but I just thought it was just interesting, really, how these ridiculous regulations that you occasionally apply to us. Maybe it's not typical of everybody. It was certainly typical of us that we just decided we weren't going to listen to this kind of music. And so therefore there's a whole section of music that I still haven't, I haven't really heard. Well, it's only like... In any great detail of those later Pink Floyd albums. And I think I'm going to have to go back and listen to them, actually, because I've never really listened to them after that. Because that kind of stopped Pink Floyd. But do you think that's all just part of this this greater thing that, that you've just got to be on the wavelength of music? There's no point feeling a sense of duty to listen to it. You listen to it when you want to listen to it, when, you, when you're curious about it, you know what I mean? And if you go through ten years without being curious about it, it doesn't matter. It's still there at the end of the ten years when you are, you know what I mean? I hate this whole desperate, you know, got to keep up with stuff, you know, all the time. Well, I suppose so, except I'd like to, I'd, you know, I'd like to be my, my, you know, whatever I was, 20-year-old self or 19-year-old self and gone back and heard those records then because I didn't listen to Roxy music because I was so busy thinking that The Twelve Dreams of Dr. Sardonicus by Spirit was a work of utter unparalleled genius. So for all I know, Roxy music were really good. I don't think you like Roxy I don't music. really know. I've started about. playing Roxy music again singles. recently, and I really like them, because you know why? Because there's nobody who sounds like Roxy music. 
Is that a good or bad thing? I think it's a really good thing. It's a good thing. Is, is that, tell me anybody who's come along. You know, every every seventies style has been pastiche to death nowadays. You know what I mean? You've had you've had a band coming along saying they're the new so and so. You know, I don't know, Oasis or whatever. Nobody's done Roxy Music. That is the key signature, isn't it? You turn on the radio and you know in, in, in point six of a second who's playing. That is the key signature. I remember thinking that with Lily Allen when she came out. I think oh, she's pretty good, but you could tell it with Lily Allen just like that. Yeah. And now you can tell there are just millions of, of Lily Allen, you know, Xeroxes. Yeah. To synthesize yeah. Two years later, kind of every record, record company's got one. Sound, they've yeah, all yeah. got one, you know. Yeah. Anyway, you were talking about this business about our bands, you know, form as teenagers and uh, and they, you know, always remain in that relationship. How you didn't get the chance to see the unbelievable. Video, which is currently we, we're streaming it on the on the word site. You can have a look at it. Called Heavy Metal Junior, um, which is made I don't know sometime in the last year by a Scottish TV company, and it's about a band of of eleven, twelve year olds called Hatred <laughs> in Scotland. Honestly, not only do their <laughs> not only do they do their parents know, but their mother also made the T-shirts for Hatred. And mother, who's, you know, clearly a very educated, sophisticated woman, somehow, God knows how, and she, this is pointed out to her by a, her 10-year-old son, has spelt hatred wrong on the T-shirt. How did she spell it wrong? Oh, well, I, absolutely. She spelled it with an I instead of an E. Hatred. That's much better, though. That looks good. That's okay, well, that's what they settle for. They should, they should have pretended that was deliberate, because that looks great. Hatred. That's anyway, great. you've got to see this video. But that works in a Germanic script really well. It would do, perfectly. They yeah. are all, you know, 10, 11, 12. Probably not even 12. They are rehearsing in the living room. They're all wearing black T-shirts. They are like any assembly of 10, 11-year-old boys. They range in height from sort of nearly six foot <laughs> to about four foot. You know what I mean? Some of them are like small if child. If they're only 11, presumably there's no one with a broken voice. Oh, uh, well, that's, that's what I'd like that's to hear. a very good metal point. band with somebody screaming about taking daughters to the slaughter and stuff, but in a high register. You've got... would be actually richly comic. You've it? got to see this. And the guy who kind of... I think he's a parent of one of them who's taken them under his wing is, is, has some kind of showbiz connection I think he runs an agency or something like this he's not, he's not a minicab driver uh, no he's not. <laughs> he's not he's clearly a man who kind of I don't know he was, he was once, in, uh, once in, the, in the London West End produ- production of Buddy, the Buddy Holly story or whatever you know what I mean and he can sing the cricket from the sing right. in a very kind of pop idol fashion. You know, he looks like he's built for an, an, an audition on the X Factor. And there he is in the living room, standing in front of these puzzled young boys, showing them how to sing their unbelievable compositions about the devil and rock and roll. You know, selling it oh, in the dude. maximum hammy fashion to this bunch of puzzled uh, 11-year-old boys. One of whom, the drummer... Adopts, I think, possibly to cover his spots. I don't want to be horrible yeah. about this. He adopts a scarf right up to his nose, you know, right halfway across his face, so he looks like a bank robber. And he has to be asked when they go into the studio to do backing vocals. He has to be asked by the engineer to take it down because he can't hear a word he's singing. <laughs> it's one of the most, honestly, it's one of the greatest, if you will, rockumentaries <laughs> I have ever seen in my life. I saw it yesterday afternoon. It's only a half an hour long, so but it's it's genuinely touching and hilariously funny. And, my, and of course, as somebody pointed out on the website, with YouTube nowadays, it's going to be there forever, isn't it? Oh, dear. you know what I mean. So, you know, what's... You as know, is this. Sorry? As is this nonsense. <laughs> as is probably Nobody's going to go and find this nonsense. <laughs> yeah, oh, Nobody's no. going to find this nonsense in it, n- next week, let alone in 10 years' time. <laughs> but for those guys in the band, you know, when they're 50 years old, their kids will be able to say, you know, Dad was once in this, you know, this <laughs> ludicrous heavy metal group, and here he is rehearsing in Grandma's front room. Grandma's it's just absolutely my favourite heavy heavy metal uh, uh, story this week, which was I thought cruelly buried by all the papers. They all covered it. I don't know if you saw it. It was, it was the one involving XL Airlines. You know, XL Airlines went bust, and uh, various charters were put on to bring stranded. Holidaymakers back from abroad, and one of these planes, I mean, this is a major craft, it's like a 232 seater aircraft, 
was piloted out to somewhere like Jordan or whatever. And who's at the wheel? It's only Bruce Dickinson from Iron Maiden, Dave. That's good, isn't it? You're thinking, oh, they've sent a plane to bring you home. What is he? And the is, pilot, of course, the man. He's a qualified is a pilot. Qualified pilot. So, what does he just sign up for a bit of casual work? I think he turned up at Gatwick. Apparently, he, he interrupted his holiday. It was a mercy dash. It was a mercy dash. What he had he's, made he's to work for XL and, and he felt so strongly about the British holidaymakers being left on their beaches that he just basically went home, picked up a plane, <laughs> roared in, and uh, you know, and uh, hightailed them the hell out of there. It's just a wonderful idea. <laughs> so if you're sitting in the back there and the pilot was doing his you know, pre-takeoff, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you wouldn't want to feel the right you know, stuff. You, you know, the, the kind of we should be cruising at a, you know, at a height of so and so, and you know, your cabin staff today is led by so and so. And I'm Bruce Dickinson. You may have right. led your daughter to the slaughter. You may have brought me on such heavy metal things. My co-pilot is Eddie. My co-pilot is a six-foot yeah. zombie with glowing eyes. Can I just, while we're on the subject of the news, can I just, can I just throw in one thing? Can I just throw in one thing that occurred to me this morning? When I got back from holiday. Three weeks ago or whatever, I'd spent a few days thinking, I remember thinking, there's no news. Nothing is happening. You know what I mean? And then, a week later, we've had hurricanes and so forth. Sarah Palin. Sarah Palin. Well, we've gone off her, by the way. Well, well, yeah, well, but, but, the, no, but that's the point. That's, chick, right? that's, oh, that's, that's the right. point. That was a huge... You're not even allowed to say you fancy her. That was a huge story. Quite cross with How long time. ago was Sarah Palin? How long has it been since we had not heard of Sarah Palin? Go on, how long has it been? Well, two weeks ago we hadn't I think heard it's, of Okay, so two weeks ago we yeah. hadn't heard about yeah. it. We nearly forgotten about We're it. We're post-Palin, I am. We nearly forgotten about it, yeah. given the events this week. Relationship's week. over. <laughs> Do you remember... I'm myself, <coughs> getting involved. <laughs> Do you remember, Matt? This may have, you know, it may have slipped your mind in the, in the kind of, you know, the, the blizzard of events that have taken place. Do you remember that Manchester? Remember that Manchester City was bought by. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember all that? Do you remember that fuss? How long ago was that? A week? Two generations? <laughs> Seriously? And you sort of think this this week, There'd next week at this time, will we have forgotten about Lehman Brothers? There've been twenty-seven news cycles. Since I, I, honestly, I've never known anything like it. And part of the problem is people have come back from holiday. What they should have done: avoid all this unpleasantness, stay on holiday. You know, no Wall Street crash, no Sarah Palin business, just stay on the beaches. There's a brilliant graph in the, in the sun yesterday, in the cover of the Lehman uh, Brothers collapse, which they had a picture of their building in New York City, and onto the front of it they had projected a graph, which sort of went up a little bit at the top, and then crashed straight down the pavement, as if you couldn't fully comprehend what had actually happened, I love that idea, and draw the graph on the outside of the building. Well, apparently, I was talking to somebody yesterday Three who said that... Three points on it. Yeah. So, it's pretty... <laughs> it's actually that. Downey Canary Wharf, where, um, where Lehman Brothers is based in, in London... Uh, you can see, looking out the window from where we are now. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, you, the vultures circling <laughs> slowly <laughs> over there. One side of the building is taken up by the most unbelievably lavish um, screen, a set of screens showing yeah. world news, sporting events, you know, all sorts of things. And somebody was saying to me yesterday, how long can it be before the accountant for PricewaterhouseCooper or whatever walks in there and goes... How much are we spending on that thing? And somebody presumably just has to go out and turn it off. You know, there is just a click. Maybe you know, really. maybe off it goes. Maybe there's a really big remote control. Yes. Kind of like, out the front. Yeah, that you've got to jump on. Homer Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> turn it off. Jump oh, on. Dear. The word. In the news, <laughs> Billy Bragg's big busk. Mark, you were keen that I mentioned this. Uh, on Saturday, I thought it might make a good podcast item. Actually, did I send you an email? Yeah, yeah, you did. I, th- I thought we should go down and record it. Basically, Billy oh, Bragg. Oh, yeah, Mark's going to go and do it. No, an I thought, OB. Yeah, yeah, wow. I thought it was brilliant. Billy Bragg is twenty um, seventh of September. Twenty seventh of September. This is on the South Bank uh, in London, and he's inviting people to come on. Here we go. In front of the front row of the Queen's Hall. Blah, blah, the big bus kicks up at five o'clock, and he tells you to bring a guitar, and then he tells you what songs yeah. he's going to play, and. Gives you the chords. Fat. Isn't this great? So it says, keep on running, G, C, D, E minor. <laughs> a New England, G, C, D, E minor, B minor. So a little bit more practice requires five chords, right? Foundations, walk on the wild side, E and A. Bring along your own Herbie Flower style string bass. What is it doing? Maybe we should. Notation. 
It, that's, it should have the, the, the actual charts, yeah, shouldn't yeah. they? Right, that's right. right. And, um, but I really think that's fantastic. So you're telling me you're going to start with Keep On Running, so there'll be loads of people practising Keep On Running in G. Is it um, any particular instrument? Or could you, for instance, take down the ukulele, Mark? I could indeed. This is starting to take shape now. It's a bit of a colour item for the word podcast. Mark kind of joins in the big bus, kind of, uh, rather inaudibly, on a ukulele. <laughs> right. I think we get in touch with them. I think we should I do think that. Very that's, good. Probably, that's probably a good idea. And I love the way it says at the top, admission free. As if, as if in the concept yes. of busking, anything has ever been eligible for admission free. As if you turned up to play, keep on running with it, because you're like, sorry, mate, 50 pence. Yeah, 50 pence, come on the South Bank today. He put a turnstile on the South Bank. Right, yeah. That'd be interesting to see. Yeah. A magazine, a website, a podcast, the word. Have you seen this thing on the website, wordmagazine.co.uk, uh, which is inspired by a new uh, Marcus Brigstock series on Radio 4 called I've Never Seen Star Wars, where people are confessing uh, to things that they've uh, that they've never seen or never heard, you know, the people who've who've never listened to uh, to Nick Drake. Do you know or... it was Nick from Word magazine? Oh, uh, Word magazine's featured. Nicked. Nick, Mark, Nick, Mark. It's the, it's the days of the internet. I don't think anybody nicks anything from no, anyone. I think Word magazine fourth edition and uh, oh, right, regular okay. readers might remember a brief series uh, engineered by Andrew Harrison called Like a Virgin. Oh right, yes, where yes. Where you were sat down with a copy of uh, a Smith sample. Never heard of this. Anyway, go on. No, it's no I just wondered. Good, I just idea. wondered. Uh, it, it occurred to me yesterday, thinking about this, that I'd never, until somebody played one in the office yesterday, I don't think I'd ever heard an ACDC record. But I had an idea what one sounded like. I bet they're great. What are they like? Well, what they, what they sound like? They, they, I, I mean, to be fair, it, you can't say nowadays that you never heard anything because everything's so ubiquitous that you will have heard it. You might not have paid any attention to it. You know, you'll have seen a video. It'll have been on a mass somewhere. On a soundtrack. And I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm very aware of what ACDC sound like. A, a small 50-year-old man in velvet shorts will have caught your attention on yes. a TV program somewhere. <laughs> and, a, and, a, and a bloke in a... in his late 60s still carrying a satchel. <laughs> <laughs> A state of arrested development. <laughs> yeah. A bloke who looks like a Viz character screeching out yeah. the front, you That's know, right. with his trousers too tight. But I'm never aware of. I mean, you know, people people respond to saying you must have heard Back in Black, or I couldn't I couldn't tell you what those things sound like at all. Um, is there anything like that for you, man? I've never. We used to put, we used to play this game, and, and you had to go around, and it's exactly this, and make cultural confessions. Okay, go on. Or faux pas by omission, um, and mine is that I've never seen. Um, apocalypse now. Okay. Oh, that's extraordinary. I've seen Mark. Have you seen Apocalypse? Seen oh now. yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, my my filmic uh, cinematic uh, education is so lax that uh, when my old pal Tom Hibbert, formerly of this parish and Q and Word and stuff, who live around the corner, uh, found out a few films I'd seen, he formed a thing called Film Club. The Hibberts would come round and the Allens would get together and various other pals, and we would watch films that he felt I ought to see. He felt so strongly about. I've never seen Dog Day Afternoon. I've never seen Mean Streets. I've never seen Miller's Crossing. I never seen, you know. I mean, this was just an appalling omission. Really. I've seen that. I only, I only saw Brief Encounter for the first time recently, which I have to say is an absolute masterpiece. Brief Encounter is great. Absolutely to, to brilliant film. It's one of the greatest films I've ever seen in my life. It is. We and saw it, and my, my must have cost about ten p. Yeah, and my it's son just and his brilliant. girlfriend and I were travelling back from a holiday early, and, and we talked about nothing else for an hour and a half. The, nothing else but the dialogue of this movie. There's a, season, there's a David Lean season on at the moment on Channel 4, isn't it? Uh, they, they must have shown Brief Encounter by now. Uh, no, I must go and buy what Brief Encounter David, David, David Lean uh, directed it. Noel, uh, um, Noel Gallagher? Noel Gallagher. Noel Gallagher. Coward. Coward. Noel Fielding. Noel Fielding wrote it. Noel Edmonds wrote it. And, yeah. It's starring Trevor Dam. Trevor Dam. <laughs> And Celia Emery. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, yes. That's the Mark Ellen film critic. Close Encounter. <laughs> Call Close Encounter. It's really good. It's DVD again. Thanks for watching. Oh, Christ. <laughs> no, tell you, my big confession is this. Bridge over the River Thames. No, my big confession. This is pathetic. I don't know anything more pathetic. Horace of Arabia. Because <laughs> the David Lean catalogue misheard, misremembered my Mark Ellen. I think that'd be great. Write a book. Yeah, that's, that's very good. Anyway, go on. It's Sorry, I'm interrupted. No, the um, the worst thing is the, ba- the band, the band's second album. You never heard it? No, I heard it, Dave. I heard it on vinyl, 
And I thought it was so fantastic. What are you doing now? What's that? What are you laughing at? <laughs> oh, Gallant's run his hands through his hair and one strand sticking up like, like, yeah. like a member of Split End. Like <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> yeah. Go on. Oh, well, this, this is rather lost to the podcast. Sorry, I know. Let's actually do that. I did more of my <laughs> vertically challenged hair. No, the, the, the band's second album, The Band, I remember hearing that, the first side of it, Across the Great Divide, Rag, Mama Rag, and that drove old Dixie down, When You Awake, Cripple Creek, etc. Quite good, I'm isn't not it? daring to hear, and I'm not being funny, I have still... Never heard the second side of it because I was absolutely frozen by the idea that the second side would be a disappointment. That's it, Tony. I've heard King Harvest because I've got it on a, uh, I've got it on a, um, a compilation, but I haven't heard the others. Actually. What are the, what are the other Crikey! Do you know that no, is really interesting? No, I've never because it's it. only when you look at the second side, and I, God, that you realise how much worse it is. I'm, I, Hey, and it, uh, it's listen, fair, it's, it? it's the band. It's very oh, good. Well, then I did the right thing. It's nothing what's, what's like on, as good. What's on the second side? So, second side, well, does it start with Jemima Surrender? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A rocking chair, look out, yeah, Cleveland. Rocking chair. I've never heard rocking chair. Jawbone, the unfaithful, un, to be fair, unfaithful servant is one of the best things they've ever heard. heard it. It's brilliant. Never heard no, unfaithful never servant? Never heard it. King Harvest has surely come, is okay. I have heard yeah. it. But listen, it's nothing like as good as. Boy, that's so interesting. My old theory that the first three tracks of what all these records are all about, even with a record as good as the band, it is the first three, three tracks. Across the Great Divide, Rag Mama Rag, and The Night They Drove Old Dixie. Well, The Night They Drove Old Dixie, I remember hearing it and thinking, I really don't think I can go on with this, because this is just, this sounds really pathetically pretentious. No, it's, it's true. really interesting I really point. It was, I was so moved by it. That's a strong I've never argument. Heard anything like this in my life. It's a strong it's argument for the EP. Greatest arrangement. It is, yeah, it is a very good one. And I thought, I just haven't got the strength to turn this thing over. And now I have it, obviously, on, 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 on CD. I only actually downloaded into my machine the first side, so that I would never get to encounter the second side. Because I still think I'm, I'm heading for disappointment. And maybe I am, Dave's pointing out that I might be. Well, so, it, yeah. it's all relative. You know, it's not as disappointing as the second side of, you know, the, the second Keen album, probably, you know. but Though not Keen, Dave. Off his favourites. Oh, are they really? I've decided. We have decided. We've got together and decided. We've had a meeting. <laughs> had a commune the, hang, the hanging jury. <laughs> the hanging <laughs> jury. Uh, it's a masterpiece, the new Keen record. Oh, is it? Oh, it's really good. I'm getting funny looks this. Have they fired any members of a the A narrow group? and appraising bounce oh. from Hepworth. Have they got rid of that bloke that sings? Yeah, they've got three new guys in there. <laughs> One used to be an ELP. Uh, that was Tom Robinson. All three of them used to be. All three of them. That is E, L and P. Keen. That's even proven, I reckon. Oh, well. <laughs> the Word. A magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. So, uh, Matt Hall, you went to a gig last night. I did. I went to a gig, and I can't even remember. I, was I, can't remember. I can't remember the last time that I went to a gig. I can't remember who I saw last. It's been so long ago. I went to see Echo and the Bunny Man at the Royal Albert Hall um, play Ocean Rain and the Greatest Hit set. And it was... Did they fill it? They probably did, actually. Sold out? Um, Bit of room in the gods, do you think? Or there, was, there was some room, actually. Yeah, there were tickets still available yesterday. On the did they have to have extra uh, coat hooks for collections of slightly distressed... <laughs> Uh, Ex-army Mackin, built-in Mackintoshes. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of colleges yeah. of further education where they got the evening off last night, weren't they? You know, <laughs> the there's a the lot of English literature courses that weren't taught last night. All I can say, Mark, is that the cloakrooms were doing very good business. <laughs> so was it good? It was frankly underwhelming, actually, I've got to say. I was, I was really... I was, That's very you honest. You are the Bunnymen's greatest supporter. I'm, I'm a big fan of So you pay, did you pay money? Paid money, yeah. This is why he's allowed to how be underwhelmed. I paid 28 of your English pounds. Okay. And how many of the, where were you sitting? How many uh, we were sitting, we weren't at the front. The, the, they had the, the, the um, stalls were promenade, so they'd taken the seats out the front uh, uh, on the stalls. And then we were sitting um, th- on the third tier up. All right. Um, Quite so nearby. And then he, there was presumably back projection. They made something of the 30 years. They had lights right. and they had uh, big screens. I don't mean back projection, I mean pictures. Yeah, 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 pictures of the band. Which was what was kind of slightly kind of um, dispiriting for me. And, and, and I haven't quite figured it out, but it was something like a um, Dorian Gray moment when they were actually projecting images, photographs of their very, very, very young selves. I mean, really young selves, right. like in Liverpool yeah. before before they had hits or on the first tour or, you know, messing around. And, of course, there are only two original members of the uh, band. 
So, so Peter Friedrich uh, died I in, think, a in, a, in a road accident, and I think Les Patterson, Patterson. the bass player, left the club. Left, yeah. yeah, went back to boat building, I think. Right. Um, so it's only um, Will Sargent and Ian McCulloch, and then one, two, three, four replacements: a keyboard player, drummer, bass player, and guitarist. And the first thing that irked me was that the rhythm guitarist, who had nothing to do with any of the music being played except some of the maybe the later tracks, a couple of new songs that they played, they did play some new, Mark. Oh, <laughs> um, no. Uh, so, I think you were had. Anyway, go on. Well, he was pulling shapes. That's a low trick. He was pulling shapes. He was pulling shapes at the side of the stage. Like, uh, you know, riffing, uh, riffing arm in the air, big, big crashing riff. <laughs> and I was just thinking, like, you didn't he read the terms of his contract? You had very little to do with this. Exactly. Man. You were supposed to stand there. Tread softly. Have you tread on my dreams? Precisely. <laughs> <laughs> And then there were these pictures, and I just thought it was, it was slightly kind of weird yeah, seeing yeah, the. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but I don't know if I agree with that. But then you go, yeah, Led Zeppelin didn't, you know, there were obviously pictures of John Bonham would appear, and the. Yeah, uh, but this, the, this wasn't like a, um, when Peter Fritz died. Uh, Julian Cope, the next video he made, China Doll, because uh, Fritz was in it, spookily riding a bike, even more spookily, um, because that was how he died. For yeah, on a motor. motor. Um, and at the end of the video. A still shot comes up, a portrait of the Freitas with, you know, R.I.P. Yeah, yeah. And, the, and his dates and whatever. This wasn't the, this wasn't that. This wasn't solemn moment. Let let everybody kind of recognise his contribution to the group. Move on. This was kind of snaps, just coming up more. You know, quite often. And on some of them, Les Patterson and Peter Freitas, and not Sergeant and McCulloch. You know, because they, they were just snaps, and it was just kind of a bit strange. What did say? You went along to see them do. And they, on the promise that they were going to do Ocean Rain. Well, they also did something very strange because what they did was they did a, a greatest hit set with a couple of new numbers, and then there was an intermission, and then they came back and did Ocean Rain. Cruel trick. Oh, that's a trick. It's a low, you mean low that? Rude. The greatest hit set, you know, it contained all the, all the hits. We should have done the hits after the hits, except for the hits on Ocean Rain. So it was kind of weird. They were doing kind of incomplete greatest hit set. And then they went on to Ocean Rain, yeah, and they should have reversed it. I think. They should have done it the other way around. Yeah. They haven't got... People haven't... Rock bands sort of haven't quite got the discipline, have they, to do those no, kind of shows. No, they always no. want to... They still want to play the new tune, don't they? And the other thing, <laughs> being, you know, this may be a bit churlish, but McCulloch was just mumbling all the way... In between song banter was oh, impenetrable. Need slapping. Yeah, it was like... <laughs> it, that, that might be quite funny when Stagecraft. You, please, it's quite funny when please. you're 28, but when you're 40-odd, it's a little bit... Yeah, do you, talk to, do you talk to your son's teacher like that? Well, you know, I've interviewed him a couple, and I know he speaks really, he can speak very clearly, and he's a very witty man and very entertaining. Last night, it was just couldn't be bothered. Yeah. It's kind of... Oh, uh, well. Yeah. So, 28, qu- 28 quid. Yeah. That's quite cheap as a ticket. Program for a tenner. I didn't buy one. All uh, right. Then, now, my prediction yeah, of the first... poster, obviously, and then your T-shirt from yeah. the bloke outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, post-Lehman Brothers... All that's going to come down, isn't it? Don't you think gig prices are going to come down? Interesting. I, because, <laughs> you know, people are going to be interrogating all those, all those kind of things. And, you know, prices have just gone up and up and up in the last 10 years because nobody stopped it. You know, bands have just been looking at each other and going, well, he charged 50. Well, I'll have a go oh, as well. I don't think, I don't think 28 pounds is that bad. No, it isn't. That's what I'm saying. It's a cheap end. Neil Young about five years ago. It was 100 pounds for two tickets. Yeah, no, yeah, sure, absolutely. No, the, the, the big premium things are 50, 50 plus, yeah. you know. Well, but they, they, they've just crept up. quid a single ticket. But they've crept up not because the expenses have gone up of mounting a gig or anything like that, but just purely because they could get it from the audience. Yeah. And, and record sales have fallen off a cliff, and so, you know, they, they, they're trying to make up for lost revenue and so forth. But, um, you know, I've sort of reminded with, you know, you're looking at loads of, of, of features of the economic problems of the last two days have been people in banks saying, well, we kept on doing it because nobody stopped us. You know what I mean? We, we did it because everybody else did it. Well, it's a bit like that with ticket prices. You know what I mean? We do it. The bloke down the road charges yeah. 50 quid. We'll do the same thing as well. And, uh, you know, it gets to the point where people won't tolerate it anymore. You know, anyway. We should see. Um, and uh, talking of features of, of the of financial problems, uh, Premiership football teams sponsored by <laughs> by companies who would turn their toes up. West Ham, XL, uh, and your boys this morning, Manchester United, AIG. So I'm, I'm, I'm really hopeful that tonight, uh, and if you're listening to this uh, after 
uh, Wednesday. We do apologise that tonight United are forced to run out in the European Cup with a bit of gaffer tape. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is what West Ham did. Uh, and uh, well, meanwhile, you They're know, selling those ones in the club shop. <laughs> Newcastle United are sponsored by all of us, aren't they? Because yeah. we are now all yeah. own Northern Rock, you know. So I we. Think could... I think what Newcastle United should do, and it would be a brilliant way to kind of get the fans back on side, is have a revolving, uh, have a lucky dip. With all of the population of Great Britain, the tax-paying population of Great Britain, yeah. lucky dip each week, and then your your face could be on your the face cover here, of the, your uh, face the, here on uh, you know on, on Michael Owen's shirt, a different face. <laughs> I think if Man United got any class, that tonight they should turn out like Barcelona in in a charity shirt or something. You know, is it Barcelona? Do, what, well, what Barcelona are they? have now got a, they're, they're sponsored by UNICEF, aren't they? Oh uh, yeah. They to, well, they're, they're they not sponsored. They do it. How many sponsors? No, but they just they they put the UNICEF logo yeah. on there. They're not getting yeah. paid for it. You oh. know. Well, I think Manchester United do, do the same thing. Do I think it'll happen? If they had any class, was that? Really? <laughs> 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 so, anything else to add? Uh, uh, Word magazine currently out in your, out in all fine news agents and some Terrific edition. Can I just say, for anyone who's uh, listening who hasn't already purchased a copy of this fine and accomplished polished book. He's talking inverted what? commas. <laughs> talking in inverted commas. No, 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 it's a very good issue. John Lennon on the front? Yeah, well, no, go out and hurry, hurry while stocks last. It's my advice. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>